Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. No, no, that's okay. She was, you should do stand-up. I reckon you'd, uh, you'd be great. I'm a good... I don't know what to do. I don't know how to follow that up. You, your jokes are better than mine, Kathleen. You want to sell Kevin for... You want to bottle him or sell him? Clone him. He's a good guy. We are continuing our series in Galatians. I'm going to jump straight into it because we've got a little bit to get through this morning. If you are visiting for the first time, special welcome to you. Uh, my name is Anthony, one of the pastoral staff watching online. Good to see you as well. And all the people in Tom Price Baptist, great to have you joining us this morning. I want to start by sharing uh, two kind of stories. Actually, they're kind of a plots or a plot to a movie, two different plots for a different movie. Uh, or a script for different movies. Actually, I got this kind of, I was reading a book uh, by Mark Sayers, and, and he kind of talked about this. But I want to I share two plots, and you kind of reflect on which one you would prefer watching or which one you like the best. This is the, the plot or the script for movie number one. It's about a guy named Billy. It's always Billy. Billy was brought up or lived on the wrong side of the tracks, uh, and all his friends, all his mates that he hung around, the people he knew were making wrong decisions, wrong choices in life. They were uh, drinking alcohol and, and doing drugs and, and partying and all that kind of stuff and getting into gangs and, and maybe violence and fights and robbing banks and all that kind of, maybe not banks, but shops. And, but Billy didn't do that. Billy was a little bit different, even though he had all his friends and they were influencing him to try to do that kind of stuff. You see, Billy was a great football player, exceptional football player, uh, fast, could run, jump, all that kind of stuff, although he was very short. So he was a short football player, so he was a bit of an underdog, uh, but he was exceptional and he would work hard, he would train, uh, he would do everything. He would... Uh, train and run and jump and skip and eat all the right food. He wouldn't go to the parties. He wouldn't drink the alcohol. He wouldn't do all that kind of stuff because he was so disciplined uh, uh, in his football. Anyway, against all the odds, guess what happens to Billy? Does anyone know? He gets a scholarship to play college football. He gets a college football scholarship and uh, he's actually the first person in his whole family, but not only that, the first person in the neighbourhood, his whole neighbourhood, to, to get out of that neighbourhood, to, to get a college scholarship, uh, to make it out of there. And so he's going to give it all his, his, his might. Anyway, he goes to college and at the start it's a little bit rocky. It's hard, the grades, the studying and all that, so he's finding that a bit hard. And actually, he doesn't get on well with his teammates because his teammates don't really accept him. Here's this little short guy who's from the wrong side of the tracks and, and uh, who's here to show us how to play the game. So, so he doesn't get on with his teammates. He's struggling with uh, his grades. So what does he do? He works hard. He trains, he's disciplined, he wakes up early, uh, he's at training an hour before they start, he stays another hour, uh, he studies in the library, all this kind of stuff. And before you know it, with a great backing soundtrack, uh, Billy is now the star player of the team. And not only that, he's getting straight A's. So he's getting straight A's, he's the star player of the team. And now what happens? You know what happens, don't you? Ah, this newfound status brings a whole heap of what? New temptations. So now Billy has been dating the same girl since he was five. The girl who lived next door, she was no longer attractive anymore. Now there were these other girls who would come and try to seduce him. These temptations, these desires that Billy had never faced before. Not only that, there was alcohol and again partying because Billy was the big man on campus, even though he was a small man, he was the big man on campus. So much so, another temptation even to uh, receive money. Someone tried to bribe him and say, hey, we will give you all this money. We know your family needs it. You're on the wrong side of the tracks. If you, just, if you, shave, if you don't play as hard, uh, we'll, we'll give you this money. And what does Billy do? He resists all of that. He resists all of those temptations because Billy works hard. He's, he's the man. And so much uh, so, right at the end, guess what happens in the last game? Billy's such a hard worker, such a great guy, he lets one of his other teammates 
do the winning play. Not him. One of his other teammates does the winning play and everyone on his team now accepts him and everyone in his neighbourhood thinks that he's such an awesome guy and they win the state championships. That's the story of Billy. Anyone watched a movie like that before? No one? Are you serious? Get out. Every single movie, is American movie, is, is based around that. Um, this message of resisting your desires... Working hard, being selfless, uh, you will win the respect and the approval from those around you. You will find success. These are the rules. Follow the rules and you will find success. Okay, what about this one? Second plot, second movie script. Maybe you can relate to this one. I think the females will be able to relate to this one. This is a movie uh, about a lady named Sarah. Where's Sarah? Different Sarah. Sarah is a girl from a small, quiet town. Now, she's incredibly gifted in art, but she feels constricted in her small town and her small town values. Her parents go to church, rather conservative. Uh, Sarah is also very super, super smart, so she's very smart, um, and she's dating uh, the clean-cut captain of the football team named Stephen. Now, Stephen also happy, happens to be the son of the richest man in the town. So you've got Sarah, who loves art and super smart, but feels constricted. You've got Stephen, clean cut, who's married, captain of the football team, who's married, uh, sorry, who is the son of the richest uh, man in town. But, but Sarah's parents constantly tell Sarah, stop playing around with that stupid art. Don't waste your time. Forget about the art. Concentrate on studying and be a lawyer. And, and, and then marry hometown hero Stephen. That's what we want you to do. But then Sarah's hippie art teacher believes Sarah's gift is incredible. And she says, don't give up on your dream. Like, like, she, like she did when she was younger. She said, I gave up on my dream, but I, I, I reckon you, you need to study art. You need to go to Italy. And she encourages her to do so. And this is what Sarah does. Parents are furious. Parents can't believe this, that that she's going to Italy to study art. And anyway, in Italy, Sarah arrives and she discovers culture and and wine and and vibrant cosmopolitan uh, melting pot and men who have hairy chests and all this kind of stuff. And her professor, where she's studying, says to Sarah or encourages Sarah to stretch herself in her art to free herself. Uh, He thinks that Sarah is a little bit repressed in her thinking and her her experience of things, that she needs to lose her inhibitions. Now, at first, Sarah struggles with this. Sarah really struggles with this. She's embarrassed and a little bit self-conscious until she has an affair, whoa, with a man named Fabio. Now, Fabio, he's a mysterious, chiseled, he's chiseled, handsome-looking man. With hair, it's Fabio. Beautiful, long hair. And Fabio encourages Sarah to push her boundaries, to do things she had never done before, and they're experiencing and doing things like they've never done before. As she has changed, Sarah has changed. Her hair is no longer up in a ponytail. She's no longer wearing plain floral dresses, but rather jeans and ripped jeans and colours, and her hair is wild. She's no longer a repressed small-town girl, but a sensual cosmopolitan woman. Have you seen this movie? What movies are you watching? <laughs> then her parents, where do her parents come? To Italy. Of course they do. And then they say, we're no longer going to pay for your school fees. We're not paying for this rubbish. If you don't come home and marry Stephen, it's done. And so she feels bad. She feels upset. She feels guilty and disappointed. or feels like she's let down her parents. And so she moves home to marry Stephen. Not this Stephen. (laughs) And there on the wedding day, oh, you know where this is going. Please tell me you know where this is going. There on the wedding day, she's at the altar with Stephen, the the richest man in town. And then all of a sudden, as the minister's about to start the service, who's standing at the door of the church? Fabio. Fabio. And he's got a guitar. And he starts to sing a song that he wrote about Sarah. Oh, is that the one? No. 
No. But he sings this song about Sarah and their beautiful time in Italy. And then everyone's almost crying. And then Sarah looks over at her mum. And her mum has a tear in her eye. And she says, go with Fabio. I made that mistake 20 years ago when I didn't follow my dreams. Go with Fabio. And then the last scene of the movie is Sarah riding in the sunset on the back of Fabio's motorbike. And poor Stephen, absolutely crushed. Have you watched that movie? Oh my gosh. Which one do you resonate more with, the first one or the second one? None of them. You, you guys need to stop watching Home and Away and actually explore, be a little bit more cultured. The final scene, unbelievable, Fabio on his motorbike. But what is, what is the main aspect of this movie? Follow your desires. Rules of society are stifling. People uh, follow them because they are oppressed. They need to just let go of their inhibitions and, and find happiness by just acting on their impulses and their desires, and then you will find life. What has this got to do with Galatians? Not much. I just love both of those stories. <laughs> no, actually, there, there is a lot. We're looking at, do we follow the rules and find what we think is life through success and, and working hard and, and doing the right things? Or do we, these are kind of the two kind of value systems of this world, or do we just do what we want, our desires? And Paul is working through both of these issues in the Jewish context, obviously, in regarding to following Jesus, but it applies to life. And so this morning we come to a kind of a tipping point or a turning point in the book of Galatians. We've just looked through the first four chapters and he's addressing these, uh, the people, uh, the Judaizers who came up from Jerusalem to encourage the Gentile believers that they needed Jesus, but they need to do something else. It can't just be Jesus. You need to follow the law. Obviously, the outplaying of that was circumcision, uh, and, and, but really it was everything. The cleanliness laws, the eating laws, all that kind of stuff. And they were saying you need more than Jesus. You need to follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules, therefore, uh, then you won't be successful or you won't be accepted by God. It's Jesus plus something. Uh, but now we kind of, and, and we know that Paul pushes against that and says, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You're justified by, through Jesus. Nothing that you've done. You, you, if you get circumcised, it doesn't make you closer to God. If you follow the laws, all the law does is actually reveal how much of a sinner you are. The law can't save you. And so he says, no, 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 no. So much so, if you remember in chapter 3, he confronts Peter, uh, you know, the apostle Peter, the great Peter. He, he confronts him in front of a group because this is really, really important. That you can't earn your salvation. Works by salvation is a no-no. If there is, and if there's works by salvation, that means there's different, different categories and standings. And remember, we have this term, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level for everyone. He talks about Jew and Gentile, the same. Male, female, the same. Slave, rich, poor, we're all one in Jesus. And now we turn this kind of corner where it's like, well, actually... Well, then how do we live, Peter? P Paul, sorry. How should we live? If we're not to follow the law, uh, what, do we, what do we do? What kind of lives shall we live? Do we, do we, are we still ruled by or controlled by rules or do we just live by our own desires and whatever feels good? What kind of lives shall we live? We've been justified by faith. What does that now look like? So we're going to pick it up. Galatians 5. Braden did a great job last week. He started looking at the beginning of chapter 5 and, and it was all about this again, obeying the rules or adding something to Jesus. Um, and basically Paul says, no, you need to act in love and live by faith. And, and then he goes on, Paul goes on and says, you guys are running such a great race. Who's come along and distracted you? Obviously the circumcision group. And he actually says, if any younger people are here, you probably want to cut your, cover your ears. But it's in the Bible. He says, I wish those circumcisers would go the whole way. And yeah, I don't need to put up an illustration. But go the whole way, he says. And this is the bit where he lands. Verse 13, look what he says, uh, following on the screen, or if you've got a Bible, that's great as well. Verse 13, he says... You, my brothers and sisters, let's, is it there? Yeah. Jesus, please make this work. 
You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And, and, and right, that's such an important thing because we could skip straight past that. He reminds them of their calling. What is their calling? Their calling isn't to be a slave. The calling isn't to carry a burden of the law, but to be free. The calling of a Christian is freedom, not slavery, not to be a slave to sin, not to be a slave to the, the things of this world, but freedom. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But then he says this. He just talked about four chapters of being free, but he gives it a little caution. What does he say? But do not use your freedom. Some translations say liberty, liberty, freedom, the same thing. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. The flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, uh, you will be destroyed by each other. So he says, the calling of a Christian is to be free, not a slave. And then he says, um, don't indulge. Don't indulge this sinful nature. He gives a caution. What is he saying? Do, uh, do we have to follow the law? What? Hang on a sec. You just said we don't have to follow the law. Now he's saying uh, there is some restrictions. Don't indulge the flesh. The word flesh there is this, this Greek word, sarks. And it basically means the fact that it's not, it's not like the flesh, our physical body is evil and bad. It, he's talking about our inner desire, our heart to do things that aren't right. That the world is broken, that we are broken. We're not necessarily... Uh, if, sometimes I think if you say sinful nature, some translations do use the term sinful nature, we can almost get this impression that our only option is to sin which isn't the case. We've been creating God's image and we can actually do things that are, are good as well. And you only have to turn on the TV. There's, humans can do some incredible things, but then humans can do some incredibly evil things. Why? Because of sarks. There's this, this, this brokenness, this flesh, the sarks is in us and the sarks is around us. And he's saying, don't indulge that. Don't indulge that. The Christian is free free from guilt of sin because of God's forgiveness, free from the penalty of sin because of, of Christ and he died on, on the cross, free from the law and its demands through the Holy Spirit. We'll see in a little while, we're actually free from living out the desires of a sinful life. See, grace and freedom go together. But here's the warning. Don't allow freedom to become a license. Don't be like Sarah. Don't become where everything, I'm just going to act on my, on my flesh, my sarks. Now this is, I find, and maybe you can relate to this, there's two extremes, uh, and maybe you've witnessed that, maybe you've had these two extremes in your own thought life, and I think they're a bit of a paradox, and, and sometimes they're colliding truths. Some Christians will interpret liberty or freedom as license. Do you know what I mean by that? Because we have this liberty, we can do whatever we want. We have a license to do whatever we want. And they think they can, yeah, do whatever they want. And so what other Christians do to resist that is what? Kind of what the Judaizers have done. By, by seeing the error of license, they do the opposite extreme and they impo impose rules and laws around everyone. And they say, you can't do this, you can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, because they see this license. And so Paul says, as Christians, we've got liberty, but we don't have license. What is the idea then? How do we live in that tension? Well, we, we, we want to look at what Paul says. He says that there is love, serving others. Liberty and love actually means we serve each other. When we have liberty and freedom and we bring in love to the equation, we won't act on those, those desires. If you think about all the sin, the, whether it be the sexual ones, whether it be lying and gossiping, whether it be... If we were to put love in every one of those equations, we wouldn't act them out because we know they're harmful in some way or another for ourselves or for someone else. And so we have liberty plus love, we serve others. Liberty without love actually brings something completely different. It brings license. And you'll see here on the screen, liberty minus love 
equals license, meaning we will do whatever we want. And actually, guess what? That brings us to again. We now become slaves. We become slaves, not so much to the law, but we become slaves to sin. And so Paul says there's liberty, there's freedom, but there's no license. To fall into rule-keeping means a loss of freedom, but to, before, uh, to fall into uh, per, permiss, uh, permissiveness or doing what we want uh, is not freedom at all. It's an abuse of freedom. Theologian uh, John Defebaker, uh, he, he says this, freedom is the right to be wrong. I love this. Freedom is the right to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong, but not the right to do wrong. When we, when we see the free, freedom as the right to do wrong, then, then we've got it mixed up. We've got something wrong there. Um, I don't know if you've ever done this. I know I have before. I know people who do it. Uh, we turn our f- liberty into license in our own lives by, with our sin life. We say, it's okay because I'm saved by grace. It's okay if I do this. It's okay if I only do this once. It's only okay if I do this. It's okay if I go and get drunk at the pub because Jesus hung around sinners. Now, I'm using that, the pub one, is nothing wrong with the pub, but I hear it all the time. I remember when we were growing up, me and Siobhan, uh, nightclubs, and, and the, those Christians were like, we go to nightclubs because we want to tell people about Jesus. I'm like, no, you're not. You're going to nightclubs because you want to hook up. Or you want, to have, you want to get drunk. And so they would use the, the freedom that comes through Jesus as almost an excuse to, for their own sinful desires, to cover up their, their sin or, or make excuses for their sinful behavior and lifestyle. That wasn't freedom, that was just flat out sinful. Do you get what I'm saying? And maybe you've done that. You know that it's not freedom, it's just flat out sinful. And, and when we know that, then we, we've stepped over the line from liberty to license. You use your freedom as a false cover to engage in sinful activity. And again, actually, there's a whole heresy around this uh, that, that some Christians actually believe that it's, that, that it's okay. They've distorted freedom, biblical freedom, to the point where they believe, and they'll teach this, that as a Christian, you can just live your desires and sin as much as you want because Jesus paid the price for that. So you don't have to worry about that at all. You can go and sin as much as you want. In fact, the more you do it, it's, it's, it's better, because it means you're, you're showing the, God's grace and God's glory through that. I don't know if you've heard of that, uh, but, but that's quite a common one. Now, you might not see it to that extreme. Paul says, no. No, just because we don't fall under the law doesn't mean we get to do what we want. We still fall under something. You'll see that in a second. Liberty and love means service for others. Liberty minus love means a license to sin. Let's keep reading and you'll see uh, verse 16 says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Different translations might say live or be led or filled, be filled by the Spirit. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires or, or fulfill the desires of the flesh, whatever they are. I want to quickly take a little side note, which you're probably thinking, oh, do we really? Your side notes go forever. But, but I want to take a side note into some two words when it comes to the Holy Spirit, because I think this is really important. And if we can grasp this, then we'll be able to really dive deep in the rest of the text um, as, as we continue. We, we need to have a good understanding about the Holy Spirit, to understand the next part that Paul is saying. And there's two words or two terms that you may have heard about when it comes to the Holy Spirit. The first one is this term, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've heard of that term. Hands up if you've heard of that term, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, this is a term that can be quite confusing, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, What is it? What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, people say? Some people think, well, isn't it just the water baptism? And, and others say, no, you, this, this baptism, the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe you've had someone come up to you and say, you need to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. Look what Luke 3.16 says. Um, if it, well, there it is up on the screen. Uh, this is what 
Luke says about being baptised in the Holy Spirit. John answered them, this is John the baptizer. I will baptise or I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. Who's he talking about? Jesus. The straps whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so what he's saying there and, and in other passages is when you become a Christian... When you say yes to Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you, and you become a Christian, that may be a conversion experience like Saul, it may be a gradual process, that the Holy Spirit actually comes into you, takes up residence and lives inside of you. And at that point at, of taking up residence, that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's once off. It doesn't happen just to super Christians. Or, or, or that kind of stuff. It happens to every single person who says yes to Jesus. At that point of conversion, they are baptised into the Holy Spirit. Look what Ephesians says here. Uh, it says, this is Paul writing, And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of, of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal a promised Holy Spirit. So when you become a, a Christian, the Spirit is the mark that you're saved. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. First Corinthians says this. Um, this is again Paul. He says, For by one Spirit we are all baptised. Not different, we're not baptised with a different spirit. He doesn't say some are baptised in the spirit and others aren't. He doesn't say if you give more money in the offering you or you speak in tongues or, or if you do certain things you're baptised. No, it says, for by one spirit we're all baptised into one body. See, we're one in Christ, we're baptised into that body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Hear, hear, hear this, I can't find anywhere in the scriptures where believers are actually told or instructed to seek out or to be baptised with or by the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about going and getting baptised, water baptism. You don't, nowhere, if you can find it, show me where it says that we are to seek out to be baptised by the Holy Spirit or any sense of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The reason why is because all believers, all believers are baptised in the Holy Spirit when they are converted, when they say yes to Jesus. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit again, boom, lives inside of you. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and when you think about the word baptism, it has a few, two kind of meanings. It has the actual visual or literal meaning, which means to, baptism means to submerge. And we see that through water baptism. But also, even with water baptism, we see something that's also happening. It figuratively means something more than what we see. It means to be identified with. And so when you're baptised with the Holy Spirit, it's an act of, of God by which he identifies believers with Jesus. This person who becomes a Christian is baptised in the Holy Spirit. He's identified in the broader body of what it means to follow Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Justified by faith, boom, then you're baptised in the Holy Spirit. One baptism. And we're members of, of, of the church, the universal church. Now this baptism, uh, it, it, again, I want to say it, happens once. There may be some other theologies, you may have a different understanding, and that's, that's okay, you can wrestle with that and debate that. But from my understanding, from my reading the Scriptures, baptism of the Holy Spirit, once, boom, all believers. There's no, there's no ranking or caste system there. You are baptised in the Holy Spirit. But the next term is this one, which is to be filled with the Spirit. Hands up if you've heard this term. Thank goodness you've heard this term. You've never watched any of the same movies I've watched, but you've heard this term. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, even this one, you kind of start to think to be filled. What happens when it, can you be filled more than once? Does it overflow? Well, yeah, it does. Now, this is a really more, a, a common term throughout the New Testament. And it's completely different. Where there is one baptism, there are actually many fillings. Many fillings of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we are instructed to be filled 
by the Holy Spirit. The numerous verses where it says that we are to be instructed or to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. Acts there says this, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It's saying that they were continually being filled. Okay, so there's many fillings. One baptism, many fillings. Now, when it comes to the filling, sorry, we're almost at the end of this side note. When it comes to the filling, I think there's two parts to that. I want to say that there's a special filling where God will choose to give someone extra power, extra help in, in a time of need or leadership. You look through the, 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 the disciples and the apostles, they had this extra special feeling to, to perform a task that God was calling him to do. And we see that throughout church history, where we get this almost this special feeling that God says, all right, I want you to be a missionary in China. Uh, was it Kerry that went to China? No, he went to India. Yeah. India, boom, and there's a special feeling. Who went to China? It was um, Hudson. Hudson... Gee, you guys are good. You don't watch any TV. You just study church history and read the Bible. It's awesome. Um, (laughs) So there's this kind of special feeling, and maybe you've experienced that at certain times in your life. But more common is what what, what I would refer to as the, we are all called to be spirit-filled Christians. The day-to-day life of a Christian is to be spirit-filled. Look what Ephesians 5 says here. Ephesians 5 up on the screen says this. This, thing is, this little thing has a spirit in it, but it's not of God. It's driving me nuts. Look what it says here in regards to... Um, where are we? Oh, that's, that's to do with the special feeling. Let me touch on that. It says, and when they prayed, these were the disciples. The place where they had gathered together was shaking. So they were praying in expectation. There was a manifestation. What was that? The building started to shake. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, not just because it was fun and it felt good. They were filled with the Holy Spirit to do what? To, it brought boldness. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. So that's that kind of special feeling. Now here's the day-to-day feeling that all Christians need to live by. Ephesians says, don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. What happens when you drink and become drunk? You don't need a show of hands. But but that controls you. You're controlled by the alcohol. And so now Paul is using that as an, an analogy, I suppose, and saying you want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Some people have even taken that out of context because they think the way to be controlled by the Holy Spirit is to act like you're drunk. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying when you're drunk, you are controlled by something else. As a Christian, you are controlled by the Holy Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, this word, if you look through the New Testament, you'll see different, like I said, to be filled, to be controlled, to yield to, to live by, to be led by, to be prompted by. They all basically mean the same thing. Yield, controlled, filled by the Holy Spirit. Okay, you still with me? Let's get back to Galatians. There it is, Galatians. This is good stuff. Galatians 16. Look what Paul writes here. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature or the flesh. You You won't gratify. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Time and time again, and you may have experienced this, I, I, I still experience, obviously I experience it now, but one of the things I notice is when people first become Christians, they say to me, Anthony, now that I'm a Christian, this is harder. Yeah. Because now you've got two, you've got sarks, the flesh, and the Holy Spirit, and what do they want? They want control. You're either controlled by sarks, the flesh, or you're either controlled by the Holy Spirit. You need to yield to the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, or you yield to the flesh and be led by the flesh. And it actually says, what is there? There's a battle going on. And maybe you experience this. You do experience this. When you know there's something you should do, or the right thing is this flesh and 
spirit battle going on. Here's my friend, Joe Christian. Uh, and, well, actually, he's not Joe Christian there. Why? Why isn't he Joe Christian? Because he hasn't been baptised in the spirit. The only thing he has in him at the moment is what we would refer to as the flesh. So sarks, he has sarks in him, that sinful nature, that desire to feel, fulfil pleasures. Um, and there's sarks everywhere. That sounds like COVID. There's sarks everywhere, as in there's, the world is broken. The world is broken. And so we live in this broken world. We are broken. And we, and we, but that's not our true self. It's actually not our true self. Our true self is to live in freedom, because what is our calling? To live in freedom. So Joe Christian goes and hears Billy Graham. He becomes a Christian. And now what happens? He's baptised in the Holy Spirit. What's living inside of him? The Holy Spirit. And now there's sarks, the flesh, and the Holy Spirit. There's a new boy. There's a new sheriff in town. He's come in, and now there's this battle going on. Whereas before, I just did whatever sarks wanted. Now, maybe there was some kind of moral conscience. There's laws and rules that we live by. But, but man, now as a Christian, whoa, you probably face this every day. What, what am I going to do? And so whenever we yield to the Holy Spirit or when we're filled by the Holy Spirit or we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, this is what happens. The, the Holy Spirit takes over. But whenever we yield to the flesh, what happens? That's the dominant one. And the goal of the Christian, the life of a Christian, is to slowly make sarks smaller and smaller and smaller and the Holy Spirit bigger and bigger and bigger. And actually, that's what the role of the Holy Spirit is, is to conform us to become more like Jesus. Okay? To make us more like Jesus. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, Two desires at war with each other, fighting, and maybe you know this battle well. Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I do do, I don't want to do. He's talking about this battle right here. He's talking about the flesh versus the filling, the spirit. Look at this quote here by Weisber. He says this, the human body is not sinful, it is neutral. So if you know anything about Greeks, Greek mythology, they, they talk about the flesh is actually evil and bad, and that's why they, they either do two things. One, they punish the body, like almost like harm the, the physical body, or they think, I can do whatever I want in the flesh. I can do anything because it's, it's not, the spirit is what I need to keep clean, not the flesh. The human body is not sinful, it is neutral. If the Holy Spirit controls the body, then we walk in the spirit. But if the flesh controls the body, then we walk in the lusts or the desires of the flesh, which actually is not our true selves. Our true selves is to walk in freedom with the Holy Spirit. The spirit and the flesh have different appetites, don't they? And this is what creates the conflict. Depending on what you feed will depend how strong it gets. So I've been, when I had, a heart, I had my heart attack in August, I decided to go vegan. Um, and so I went, I've been vegan for almost a year. The first few months, I would look at my dog Rocky and think, man, he'd look good on the barbecue. <laughs> Poor, some barbecue sauce. And... But after a while, my appetite started to change because I was feeding it different food, broccoli. Beans, broccoli and beans. Ask Siobhan about that. The combination. But the appetite for the meat slowly disappeared. Now, every now and then it's still there. But it's not. That's the wrong Rocky. Sorry. (laughs) But do you get what I'm saying? What we feed will grow. Let's keep reading before Ollie comes up. Um, Let's keep reading. Here we go. Sorry, Ollie. Uh, Where are we? What verse is that? Verse 19. And this is what he says. He says, if you live in the flesh or you give way or feed the sarks, this is the output or the byproduct. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Sounds like you're watching the five o'clock news. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why does it sound like the six o'clock news? Because for most, most of us, we're wrestling with the sarks, but we just give in to those desires. We do whatever we want with those desires. 
And Paul says that the outworking or the byproduct of living or obeying the flesh or following the flesh or being controlled by the flesh is all those things that we listed. And that's why we live in a broken world. But then he goes on and says, okay, what is the opposite? Well, the opposite is this. You know this passage off by heart. The fruit of the Spirit. So similar to the fruit of the sarks is all those bad things that we just spoke of. The fruit of the Spirit, meaning the outworking of the Spirit in a believer's life. Fruit grows naturally, doesn't it? So he's saying, as a Christian, you've got the... You've got the roots, you've got the tree in you, and and the more you feed it, the more you're led by the Spirit, the outworking of that is the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, there's our theme, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a lot nicer than the other list, isn't it? Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since uh, we live by faith, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So he's saying the byproduct of living in sarks is not our true self. It actually brings slavery because this is what happens. But if you live in the Spirit or you're controlled by the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, this will be the byproduct. This will be the fruit which is actually our true selves. Freedom comes. Freedom comes. So how do we do this? Well, let's, here's Joe Christian again, uh, and he wants, to, um, he wants to live controlled by the Spirit. He doesn't want to live by sarks. There's two ways or two instructions that Paul gives us there. Uh, I'll put the text up there. He says, those who belong to Christ, don't know if you can see it, there's two things he commands us to do by Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So the first way is to crucify your desires of the sinful nature. Crucify means to what? Put to death. And so it's kind of like, again, he's drawing on the imagery that Jesus died for our sins. We need to crucify those desires. It's really a graphic description of repentance, really. We need to turn our back on our old life, put to death our old life, just like the crucifixion did with Jesus. He put to death, it paid the price for sin. Was, putting to, was Jesus on the... Would that be painful? Absolutely. Putting to death our old life can be painful. It can be hard. It's not something we want. To, it's easier to go to the desires because they, te- they feel good tempor- for the temporal moment. They feel good. But we need to put them to death. We need to recognize them and dismantle them because basically they're actually just idols. The desires of the flesh are just idols that we worship, whether it be lust, whether it be money, whether it be reputation. They're just idols that we put there. Um, and so we need to crucify them. How do we do that? Well, we, we, we name them. We repent of them. We turn our, way, our, our back on them. We, we crucify them. In some ways, we also need to find the motivational level. You know when you, you say, uh, or maybe you, you swear a lot. I don't know if you swear a lot. Probably not, because you don't watch any of the movies I watch. But it, it, people just say, don't swear. Just cover it. When, when you say a swear word, put soap in your mouth. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but that's just covering the... It's like a band-aid. Like you've got to dig deeper and find out, well, why, why is the swearing happening? Or It's deeper in. There's got to be another issue there. And that's what we talk about crucifying. We've got to find the deeper issue. Why, are these, why am I doing these behaviours? So that's the first thing. You, you crucify uh, your desire and sinful nature. You crucify, you repent, you turn away from it. You run away from it. You don't want anything to do with it. And the second one is, and this is really the real important one, is keep in step with the Spirit. You see, the solution to not give into into sarks is not just to go into a a battle of wills with the flesh. You You need to be disciplined and you need to be consistent and persevere, but it's not just a battle of the wills. 
It's more about surrendering your will or our will to who? The Holy Spirit. That's why we we keep in step with the Spirit. Look at these two quotes, J.I. Packer up here on the screen. He says this, he says that uh, the Christian's life in all its aspects, intellectual, ethical, devotional, relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So apart from him, not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, there will be no believers and no congregations at all. So the life of a Christian is, is to be filled, controlled, yielding to the Holy Spirit, to live in step with the Holy Spirit. John Stott, my favorite theologian, he says this up here on the screen as well. It is by the Spirit of Christ that we can be changed so that we become more like Christ. The main role of the Holy Spirit is to change you to be more like Jesus. As we continue to maintain our focus on him, yes, we have a part to play in turning from what we know to be wrong into, uh, in the exercise of faith and discipline, but making us holy is essentially the work of the Holy Spirit. I think what we need to do is look at the fruit of being led by the Spirit is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What we, what we tend to do is we tend to look at the character traits first. How do I be good? How do I be gentle? How do I be patient? No, don't start with the fruit. Start with what causes the fruit to grow. Does that make sense? What is it? Being led by the Holy Spirit. Being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Um, that, that's, that's what happens. Okay, let me finish with this. Sorry, there was a lot in there today, but that's fine. I wish, I, I'm going to tell you about a pet of mine, a friend of mine named Rocky. <laughs> I wish I had a picture, but I reckon this explains it really, really well. If, if you look at that verse where it talks about the last bit there, he says, we crucify it, but then he says this, uh, those who belong to Christ are crucified. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, that is the key, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Now, we've just moved house, and um, our little dog, Rocky, is kind of a little bit confused, but the last week, been taking him for consistent walks. First, first few days, I don't know if you've, if you've ever had a pet or a dog, uh, you put the lead on him, he's a big dog, you know, so you really got to strap this thing down. Um, and so you put the lead on, and there's times where you're walking the dog, and the dog will be sprinting out in front and you're like, he thinks you're pulling him. He's not that big. And you can hear him go, kuh, 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 because I'm not letting him pull me because he just wants to go out in front. And sometimes we do that with the Holy Spirit. We, we run off in front. Now, the Holy Spirit is, is a gentleman as well. It doesn't, I'm just kind of go with the flow. You're, you're giving in to the desires of the sarts, the flesh. But it's not an enjoyable walk for Rocky when he comes back spitting blood because I, I'm not moving. The pulling. And then there's other times. It's the opposite, isn't it? He's, no, he's not pulling, but what am I doing? He's got burn marks on his legs because I'm just dragging him because he doesn't want to come for the walk or he wants to smell a tree or he wants to stop and whistle at a girlfriend or whatever. And I'm just dragging him. And again, it's... It's not hard for me. And he's like, Meh. you like the girl from mine, didn't you? It's good. Then there's times we have a really good walk. And he literally is just there about walking by my side and I'll walk and he'll walk. It feels great. I, I enjoy it. Like it's, not, like it's not hard. It's not dragging. I feel like he enjoys it. And when I stop, what does he do? He stops, sits. And we just have a great walk. Now, I was thinking about that. Oh, that's a really good example of of being in step with the Holy Spirit. But actually, there's one better. Because I think the Judaizers wanted us to be connected to the lead so that we couldn't go too far in front, so that we couldn't go too far behind. The best times is when we go to the park and I take the lead off. There's other dogs around. And I put it, put it like this. I do have it like that just in case the big dog comes. Um, and I, I take the lead off and I just walk. And what does Rocky do? 
he follows. Now, he may be over there. Every now and then he's, he's doing this one to see how far away I am. He's listening. If I say rock, he'll come. If I make little noises like boop, 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 I've got all these little codes. Or not really codes, just like noises. And, and he hears those little, come boy, and he'll come. Now, there's times where he doesn't. He'll run off and I'll be like, Rocky! And I'm chasing him. But the best times ever are when I take him off the lead and we walk around the oval. The last few times, maybe because he's scared, doesn't know where we are. There's no lead. That's what Paul is saying. There's freedom. There's no lead. I'm not going to drag you. I'm not going to pull you. Just stay close to Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Listen to the noises. Keep looking to make sure you're walking in step. They're the best walks. He has a great time. You can see him. He's almost smiling. I have a great time because I look like dog whisperer. And I, don't, I can relax. And we go. He knows he's safe. I think that's what Paul is saying. Take the lead off. Don't be dragged. Don't race ahead. Take the lead off. Keep looking. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't uh, operate in a vacuum. You've you got to read your Bible. You've got to you pray. You, you connect with other Christians. It's in all of that. You learn his, you get to hear his voice. You understand the callings. You know where you're meant to be going. I want to encourage you. This morning, I don't know where you are with your faith. I don't know if you've turned liberty into license. I don't know if you've crucified your old self yet. Or, or maybe you're just wrestling with this whole, this, this battle. Just say to Jesus today, we're going to pray in a second. I want undo the chain. Help me. I want, to, I want to be led by you. I'm going to yield to you. I want to be controlled by you. I want to be filled by you. Sometimes it's two steps forward. It's gradual process, spiritual growth. Sometimes it's a step back. Let me pray. Most gracious Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it brings so much light to our life. Father, we ask and pray that we would be people who do not turn freedom into license who are not controlled by the law, but live in step with your spirit. Lord, we think of the picture of, of, of not having to have a lead around our neck, pulling us or dragging us, but that we would be able to walk side by side, side by, by you, following you, being led by you. Father, if there's anyone here today that is just that constant wrestle, that battle between the flesh and the spirit, Lord, I pray that you give them a most a special feeling, a special uh, yeah, feeling to be able to push through that flesh that they'd be able to crucify it, they'd be able to turn their back on it, they'd be able to live, walk filled, controlled by your Holy Spirit we pray this in Jesus name and everyone said Amen